Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Father Trevor. Have you ever been to a really amazing wedding? Like a, a really fantastic wedding, you're just blown away. It's so much fun, the food, the dancing, all of the different parts of it. Um, what, what made it so amazing? Can you think of a few things that stood out? Maybe it was the taco food truck. Maybe it was this thing or that thing. Take just a minute and turn to someone nearby you and just tell them in one sentence, the most amazing wedding I went to had this, had this thing, Okay. So go ahead, turn to the person next to you and tell them about the most amazing wedding you ever went to. All right, what were some of the things that made it so incredible? Anybody? Your, your spouse was there, yeah, your spouse-to-be. Yeah, that's a good one, good answer. The venue, beautiful venue. The dancing, yeah, that's my favorite part. Anyone else? The food? Yeah, well, in this uh, story, Jesus is talking about a really amazing wedding. And it's got all the things that weddings that we go to have, too. It's got uh, invitations. It's got a venue. It's uh, obviously got food and a bride and groom and wedding clothes and one would presume, dancing, and all sorts of uh, fun things like that. It's, it's got all of these things. And Jesus tells this story um, so that we can begin to see more and more what the kingdom of heaven is like. We, we've been talking about God's kingdom, his way, his way of life, that it can come down from heaven and, and we can actually see it here on earth. We can experience it. We can recognize it and we can learn to live in it. And so Jesus Jesus is teaching us how to recognize it. It's like, it's like this really great wedding banquet and wedding feast. It's like a king who's, who's getting ready for this party. So what I want to see this morning is really simple. The kingdom of heaven is a wedding feast. We want to look at what it means that it's a feast, what the invitation was like, how we RSVP for it, and how we mark down our plus one or plus two or plus three. So that's what we're going to look at as we walk through this parable. So would you uh, turn in your Bibles with me uh, to Matthew 22? And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. There's some on the seats all around you, and you'll find this one on page 1248. All right, and as we come to study this passage together, uh, would you join me as we pray? Um, Lord, you show us yourself in your word. And so we just ask that you would continue to be present with us, and that as we read this passage, we would know your kingdom, um, but even more so that we would know you better. So come by the power of your Holy Spirit and teach us this morning. Amen. All right, so first, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is a feast. It's a wedding feast. And we kind of know how weddings go in, in our culture, but these stories that we're reading come to us from another culture. So we're reading cross-culturally. So what would a wedding feast look like in Jewish culture? Well, it actually was a lot longer than ours are today. So to start the whole wedding process, 
um, two families would get together, the potential bride and potential groom and, and their parents, and they would, they would enter into a wedding covenant. And then the groom would go back to his father's house and make all the preparations for their life together. So he's got to make sure he's got enough to support his family and a place to live and, and his occupation. He's got to put that all together. And then he goes to his father and says, I'm ready. And then the father gets to decide if he thinks his son is actually ready to go be a groom. And when he's ready, the father says, okay, go and get your bride. And the bride in this culture doesn't even know when that day is. It's a surprise. So she's got to be ready for it. And so there's a procession that goes from the father's home to the home of the groom, of the bride, and they bring the bride back. And there's a private wedding ceremony. And then they go on their honeymoon. And then after that, they don't go on their honeymoon, but they go to their home. And they, after that, they come back and then they have the wedding feast. And that feast would be a day, seven days, a month, depending on the means of the family. And it would, it would be this huge party with everyone invited. That's the, that's the sort of context of this wedding feast. It's celebrating something that has happened. But there's two other feasting contexts that we need to know for the people of Israel because there's also this context of Sabbath feasting. Feasting is something that the people of Israel did all the time. When we think about feasts in our culture, we don't use that word usually for them, but we think about special occasions or holidays, and maybe you can think about you know, which special occasions or holidays were celebrated in your family growing up. Uh, maybe it was uh, Christmas was the big feast. Do you remember any of the traditions that were a part of that, any of the foods you would eat? Um, we've got a mix of holidays. Some are religious, a background like Christmas and Easter. Some are more secular backgrounds like uh, President's Day or Labor Day and Columbus Day. And you wonder, is, what exactly are we celebrating? And is that worth celebrating? And there's all these questions about feasting. But actually, our, our word holiday comes from a sacred feast tradition of holy days. That's what a holiday is. It's a holy day. And so the people of Israel had these holidays. The wedding feast um, in Israel would have reminded people of their Sabbath feast that they practice weekly, a weekly feasting together. And then uh, that happened every seven days, but then throughout the year, seven times a year, they would feast for an entire week. And one of those feasts was the big feast, the, the Passover feast. And then every seven years, the eighth year would be like a feast year, a sabbatical year. And then every seven times seven years, every 49 years, the 50th year would be a year of jubilee. So there was a feast once a week, seven times a year, an annual feast, a every seven years feast, a generational feast, and then a life feast, one jubilee a year, a, a lifetime. And these were not, uh, you know, we sometimes think of them as kind of a legalistic or a burdensome sort of command. But these feasts are actually good news to the poor who, who get a chance to celebrate and to, to enter in. And, and, and it's uh, occasions for great joy. So when Moses is inviting people to the feasts, he says in Deuteronomy, the book he wrote, he said, There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families will eat and rejoice in everything you have. Being a part of the Sabbath feast was an occasion for great celebration and great joy. And so the church has kept that tradition. The church 
becomes the, the place where the feast takes place. Uh, on Sundays every week, we celebrate feasting when we come to the Word of God. And we celebrate the feast when we come to the table of God. When Jesus is celebrating his communion, the, the, the first supper, the last supper with his disciples, they're having one of their weekly feasts. And he says to them, whenever you do this, whenever you drink and eat, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. And we look, uh, we look back across 2,000 years of history and we go, well, how often do we do this to remember him? But for his disciples, that would have been really, really clear. Well, we do this every week. We feast every week. And so the church has, from the beginning, said, well, we feast every week. We come every week to the presence of God through his word and through his table. That's what we do as a church. We're a church that feasts. I mean, what do we come to church for? Do we come to church to hear someone talk and share some new information? Do we come for a lecture? Do we come to church um, because of what we're going to see and what we're going to observe and, you know, the music or the readings or... Do we, do we come to uh, watch a performance? No, the, the church, it's not a lecture hall, and it's not a concert hall. It's a banquet hall. That's what we do when we come together. We feast. There's one other context for feasting for the people of Israel. It's called the story of the great kingdom feast. We read one of the first uh, statements of that story in Isaiah this morning. And uh, these are both passages from the lectionary. So the church, when it reads Matthew 22, it reads Isaiah 25. Because this is the first story of the great feast where it says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples or for all the nations. And so the people of Israel would they would actually sit around, the, the people who are religious and spiritual, they'd sit around and go, what is that kingdom of God feast going to look like? Who's going to get in? This was a question they would ask one another. And when Luke tells the story of Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven being like a banquet, it starts with one of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders going, what is the kingdom of heaven banquet feast like? You see, they... The, the Pharisees, they didn't like Isaiah 25. The Pharisees didn't like Isaiah 25 uh, because it said that all peoples would come to the feast. All nations. And their little country of Israel had been destroyed and attacked by all the nations around them. They, they didn't want them at the feast. They actually came out with a translation of Isaiah 25 around this time that was called the Targum. And in the Targum, they change it. They reinterpret Isaiah 25, not to say that all the peoples are there, but that all the peoples are there, but only the Jews go to the feast. Then they wrote another book called the Book of Enoch. And in Enoch, they said the wedding banquet would have all the nations there, but then all of the Gentiles, all, all of those who aren't Jews, they would actually be judged and killed, and then the Jews would go in. And then one more, there's a, a, a writing, a scroll called the Messianic Rule from this time, where it says that only those who are worthy can attend the feast. The poor, the lame, the sick, the impure, they can't attend. That, that's the context that Jesus tells this story of the feast in. 
Notice in verse 3, the invitations are sent. He sent to his servants those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. The king's like, why don't people RSVP anymore? He's like, back in my day, before Common Era, people would RSVP for feasts, but now in the new millennium, 30 AD, people don't RSVP anymore. This would have been shocking. A king invites you to his banquet. You come, right? Imagine some incredibly wealthy, incredibly affable, likable, famous person inviting you to a wedding. Aren't you super excited to get that invitation? What's the venue going to be like? What's the food going to be like? I read a story this week about a a royal family in Russia that threw a wedding for their daughter uh, two or three years ago, and it cost a billion dollars. They sent horses and carriages to everyone's home to bring them. They hired the entertainment for the evening. It was Jennifer Lopez. Don't, I mean, you would want to go to this feast. It's shocking that, 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 that they refuse him. It's actually a, a cultural slap in the face. When Luke tells this story uh, about who's invited, uh, they give all these excuses. Here it just says they go to a field or they go to a farm. Uh, when Luke tells it, he expands on what those excuses are. And they're terrible excuses. They're terrible. It's like when you ask someone out and they're like, oh, no, I'm sorry, I can't go. And you're like, well, I didn't tell you which day yet. Or, you know, you ask someone out and they're like, I'm sorry, I've got to wash my hair. I just can't. These are terrible excuses. And they would have been a cultural affront intense enough to completely break the relationship. They are humiliating the host by rejecting him. This would be shocking. Whenever we read a parable, we have to look and go, is this normal? This is not normal. But the master sends out more invitations. Verse 4, he sent more servants and said, tell those who've been invited that I've prepared my dinner. Everything's ready. Do you ever invite someone over for dinner and they go, well, what are you having? That's what's happening here. The king's like, well, if I tell them the menu, maybe they'll come then. I've got some oxen. I've got some calves. He's been raising them. They're farm to table fresh. Come to the wedding. But no, they still reject him. And then they get hostile. And they attack his servants. And they treat them shamefully. And they even murder them. And then the king in verse 7 goes and um, creates justice after those murders. And then something happens. The king doesn't say, that's it. The wedding's off. He says, okay then extend the invitation even wider. Make the invitation even broader. He invites everyone. The the invitation expands, and he invites the good and the bad. He says the ones who didn't come, they're not worthy, but then he goes and invites the good and the bad. Why? Because to be worthy to come to the wedding banquet of the kingdom of heaven, all you have to do is say yes. That's all it takes. Good, bad, if you come, you are worthy to be there because you've been invited. Jesus gives this hard word to the Pharisees that we said last week were folks who thought they had earned the right to be at the banquet. And he's saying, no, you you don't earn the right to be here. In fact, thinking you earn the right to be here means that you've rejected the invitation to just come. And so we get to the part at the end about the person who's not wearing the right wedding clothes. 
when you get an, a wedding invitation, we, we have to look and see, okay, what sort of wedding it is, I need to know how to dress, right? Is it in a really fancy hotel or restaurant? Okay, I can address. Is it in a field somewhere? Okay, I can, you know, we, you, we kind of judge which uh, clothes we're going to wear. This person showed up and had made no effort. He had done nothing. It's not a question of whether he has good enough clothes. That's not it at all. Because everyone else has the right wedding clothes on, right? And they were found wherever. In this culture, it wasn't uncommon for the wedding host to give you the wedding garments to wear. He's speechless. He has no answer. Why, why aren't you wearing the wedding garments? He has no answer. It's, it's because he's decided not to. It's because he chose not to. Yeah, he came into the room, but he's not really there. This is, this is what the Pharisees are doing they, they, they say that they're part of the kingdom of heaven banquet, but they've rejected the invitation. They, they say that they're there, but they haven't prepared. They haven't actually accepted the invitation. See, when the invitation goes out, it's an expansive invitation, but we've got to RSVP for it. We've got to respond and then attend. And when we do that, when we fully respond to Jesus' invitation to come to the feast, he's the one who changes our garment. We may have been poor, we may have been outcast, we may have been self-righteous, we may have been lame, we may have been racist, we may have been sick, we may have been dishonest and unfaithful and angry and bitter and tired. Jesus takes all of those garments, all of our dirty clothes, he takes them and he exchanges them and he puts a royal robe on us. He puts on garments of white, he puts on the wedding clothes we need to enter into his kingdom. It's something that he does in us when we accept the invitation and when we enter in. Jesus says, come, come to the wedding feast. Repent, believe the kingdom of heaven is here right now that you can enter into it and live your life in the feast. Every time we come to the word and table, Every time we come to the Lord, we're entering into the feast. We're responding again to his invitation. We're experiencing his presence and his life-changing action in our life. You feast on the word of God. You feast on his presence at the table. You feast on what he's doing and who he is. When we're part of the kingdom, we enter into this kingdom feast. You know, in Isaiah 25, um, it talks about that feast being for all people, taking the, the shroud of darkness that has covered us and removing it and bringing light, bringing healing. I mean, we, we come to the wedding feast hungry, and we come to the wedding feast hurting. But Jesus, in the feast of giving us himself, he brings us, he fills us, and he brings us healing. That is what happens at the wedding feast. And you know, the Bible ends with the wedding, a wedding feast as well in uh, Revelation chapter 19. And this is how the world ends, according to Jesus. It says, there's a wedding feast of the Lamb, and they invite all people to come and enter the feast. They say how good it is for the person who's gotten an invitation and accepted it and come into the feast. All things set right. 
I remember one of the first times that Bonnie and I visited our sending church, Church of the Resurrection. It's about 2004. And we walk in, and we'd never done this sort of church before with the prayers written down and with communion all the time. And it was a little bit strange, new for us. And that, the church at that time was about 300 people and meeting in an a auditorium at a local high school. And it wasn't particularly uh, impressive. It was kind of a little bit hodgepodge, everything going on, and a little bit uh, disorganized. We met the Lord there. And we had such a sense of his presence. And such a, such a sense of the joy of celebrating being together in the banquet feast of the Lord. We, we left just going, what, what happened? Why, why was there such a sense of celebration? And then a few months later, we went through our first Holy Week with Church of the Resurrection. And we went to our first Easter service. And we saw people worshiping with everything they had. And it was like everyone at the church was symbolically wearing these garments of white. It was, everything was just so beautiful. Their joy was so beautiful. And they were dancing and singing and shouting and making a holy noise. And if you've done Easter here with us, you've You've seen that. You've participated in that. And if you haven't, just wait. But it's an entering into the feast of the kingdom of heaven. And whenever we enter into that feast of the kingdom of heaven, we're doing something prophetic. Because it's saying in the midst of the darkness of this world, in the midst of the lamentable things in this world, where so often the poor and the hurting and the needy and the hungry are, are not welcomed in, in the midst of that, there is a feast of the kingdom of heaven, and that heaven is coming here and now, and it's breaking in. And when we gather together, we enter into the in-breaking kingdom of heaven, where everyone is invited, where everyone is welcomed, where you can come with your hunger and with your hurt, and you can be filled, and you can be healed. And you enter into that and we're filled with joy. And you can't explain it. You can't even hardly express it. But it's here. It doesn't always make sense, but we feel it. Because it's the future wedding feast of the Lamb breaking into the present now, into our lives, and clothing us in robes of joy and righteousness. It's the kingdom of heaven. That's what it's like. The invitation is expansive. It's to everyone to enter into the joy of the feast. And the invitation is expansive. And the feast is joy because the heart of the king is expansive. And the heart of the king is joy. Look at verse 10. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And when Luke tells this story, he says, Specifically, they go out to the country lanes and the highways. The country lanes are where you would find the poor, the lame, the cripple. And, and Luke says, Jesus says, invite the poor, the lame, the cripple, the ones that the Pharisees didn't want to invite. Invite them all, specifically invite them. They're welcome, they're invited. But then he says, go out to the highways because the highways is where the foreigners would be traveling, where those from other countries, where the refugees would be. Invite them, they're welcome. Invite all the people you didn't think were welcome, you didn't think were invited, invite them all. Why? So go to the street corners, invite them to the banquet, anyone you find, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. The wedding hall was filled with guests. 
When Jesus tells this story in Luke, the servants go out and they invite everyone. They come back and they tell Jesus, the wedding hall, it's not yet filled yet. We invited everyone we can find, but it's still not yet filled. And the king says, well, then go out and beg them to come in. Go out and beg anyone and everyone you can find. Beg them to come in so that my house might be full for the feast. The invitation is expansive because the heart of the king is expansive. He wants his house full of everyone who will say yes, of everyone who will enter in. At the end of time that we just read in Revelation, there will be a wedding feast. It's being prepared right now. Jesus is the groom and he will come to receive his bride, us, the church, everyone who will respond. And the only reason that hasn't happened yet, the only reason it's not happening right now is that the wedding hall is not yet full. Is that there are more people who need invited. That there are more anyone and everyone who might say yes, who might come. And the father wants his house to be When we answer the invitation to come into the feast, we are guests, but we are also the servants in this story. We are the ones that the master of the house sends out to anyone and to everyone. And sometimes as servants, they're rejected. Sometimes as servants, we're rejected, treated shamefully, even killed. And facing that rejection can be hard for us as we try to expand the expansive invitation of the Lord. As I was reading this, I just felt convicted that a lot of times for me, when I'm thinking about people I know who have not been invited into the feast, who have not yet come into the banquet hall, I RSVP for them. You ever done that? You're hosting an event, you're hosting a wedding, and you're going through a list of people, and you go, I don't think they would want to come. I haven't seen them in, in a while, so maybe I won't invite them, or... Last time we got together, it didn't go so well. I want to invite them. Or they live so far away. We RSVP for someone. Before we send them the invitation, we say they won't want it. Don't we do that when inviting people into the banquet hall of Jesus? The Pharisees did it uh, through their sort of ethnocentrism, through their own self-righteousness. The poor, the lame, the crippled, they can't make it. They're not good enough. The foreigners, the people not like us, they can't be invited in. We actually hate them and we don't want to include them. Sometimes we do that too. But sometimes we just do it out of fear of rejection. We think that they'll reject it or that they'll reject us. They won't like it here. They won't fit in here. They're not interested. We are RSVP for them. But the servants of the master, they go out, they invite anyone and everyone. And some will reject. But some will accept it. And when people first heard this story and they thought about foreigners and the impure and all of these folks, the good and the bad, being at the banquet, they would have been shocked. They would have been completely surprised at who responded to the invitation. Oh, that our kingdom of heaven imagination would be so enlarged that we could imagine anyone and everyone responding to the invitation to the feast. That anyone and everyone we meet could say yes and could come. Wouldn't that change how expansive the invitation we give would be? 
because everyone's invited and anyone can respond. We're sent out to invite everyone and anyone. Got a note last night from a family in our Anglican church family, the Campbell family, and they, as they were praying about who the Lord was calling them to invite a couple years ago, the Lord gave them a heart for their neighborhood. And they felt the Lord telling them to start a church in their garage. So that's what they did. Painted it, put in a heater. It's Racine. It's cold in the winter. And in this neighborhood that's a lot like Aurora, Racine has a lot of similarities to Aurora and demographic and sort of post-industrial Midwest Rust Belt, a historic African-American community, historic Latino community. They just felt the Lord asking them to invite everyone to their garage in their neighborhood for church. And you know who came? Kids. Dozens of kids every Sunday to hear the gospel. And last night they baptized four children, kind of older age children in their neighborhood, invited them into the kingdom of heaven. They extended an invitation they probably wouldn't have otherwise. I read a story about a woman from Mozambique. Her name is Heidi. She talks about hearing the same invitation from the Lord. She says she was praying and I saw a wedding feast of the Lamb. And there were huge, long tables laid out with the most beautiful food I've ever seen. And I heard the Lord say, wake up, church, wake up. The feast is about to begin, but the poor have not yet been called. The house is not yet full, and I want my house to be full. She goes on to describe a vision of Jesus dancing on a garbage dump, inviting the children to come with them, and he'd touch them, and they'd be healed. He put beautiful garments on them and he led them out of the dump and he brought them into the wedding feast hall and he said, you sit in front. Heidi said she's worked at the garbage dump in Mozambique ever since and she's seen hundreds of children and youth who have met the Lord and been fed physically and spiritually. The house is not yet full. The Lord wants it full. So many of you have told me stories about the Lord telling you that your house is not yet full enough to welcome in more children or to welcome in someone adopted or someone foster cared for, to welcome in more hospitality, to have weekly soup nights and taco nights and coffee mornings and to just keep inviting people in because there's space at the table, there's space at your table and you felt the Lord asking you to invite more people in. This coming Wednesday, it'll be two years of City of Light doing services here in Aurora. Two years that we've been every week coming here to feast in the presence of the Lord. And this has happened because the Lord moved in the heart of some folks from Aurora and some folks from surrounding communities to say that the banquet hall is not yet full. We want a place here that we can invite our neighbors, we can invite people who are far from God to come receive the invitation and to come feast and be fed and be healed. Have, have you entered into that feast here? Maybe you've been here for two years, maybe you've been here for a year, for two months, for a few weeks, maybe this is your first time here. Have you entered into the presence of the Lord and been met here and been fed here? The Lord once the wedding hall full, look around. Do you see some empty seats? Who in your life needs to be fed by the Lord? 
to invite the Lord to expand your imagination for who needs to be a part of the feast. Look, look there in the back. See the, see the empty space there? I think we could do four or five more rows. I think we could. I think we could fit more people who need to meet the Lord here. And you all know me. I'm not obsessed with numbers. We're not trying to grow a mega church here. But the Lord has an expansive heart. And he offers an expansive invitation to anyone and everyone. And there are people who are hungry and who are hurting. The Lord wants to send us to them. He wants us to invite them in so he can feed them and he can heal them. That's what he's doing in us. That's what he wants to do for anyone who will accept his invitation. Isn't it good news that the kingdom of heaven is a feast? Is there an empty chair at your table in your home? Who needs invited into your home to experience the presence of Jesus? May the king of the feast so expand our hearts and so expand our invitation that we would come and receive from him, that we would be filled, that we would be healed, and that we would extend that invitation to so many in our life who need to feast on the presence of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.